one more. Here we go. All right. The word of the Lord. <laughs> Matthew chapter 2. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, through your word proclaimed, may we encounter you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I had to go to Best Buy to get my phone fixed, so you get a sense of how that went. Uh, but it worked for a little bit. But there was this lively young man named Phil working with the Geek Squad at Best Buy. And he's a young guy from the Northeast Philadelphia. He's working his way through college, just a delightful guy. He's really engaging asked me about my Christmas, I asked him about his, and he said, look behind me. And behind him looked like something that, like Santa's sleigh had upset, okay? Because there was all kinds of televisions, there was speakers, there was printers, there was computers, and every electrical device you could buy at Best Buy. Probably 30-some stuff there. And he goes, that's my day. I have to check all those because they were bought back to see if they're broken or not. Then he goes, Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, you know, we all have this potential to have like the post-Christmas blahs, right? Uh, sometimes there's anticipation of the holiday. Sometimes things don't always go so well. Sometimes we just are running around and you have a chance to stop and, yeah, there's a little bit of a letdown. Um, you know, at my Christmas Eve servant, I alluded to the fact that, you know, there are tinges of tragedy in the beautiful story that we celebrate on Christmas Eve. Um, the life of Jesus was not immune from what all our lives are touched by. Perhaps his life was even more tragic. He was born under the rule of a ruthless tyrant who was a regent of an empire that ruled with an iron fist. And because Jesus enters into human history, he will be surrounded by both the beauty and the ugly that this life has to give. His life will be marked by great triumph and by tragedy as well. Over the history of my ministry, I tend not to preach this Sunday. I've, I've tended in the past to take this Sunday off when I had associates 
I always gave this funding to associates. And so I often don't have to deal with the text that's before us here. The, the tragedy, if you would, of the massacre of innocents and the fact that Jesus and his family had to run for their lives. Now, I, I saw an interesting online discussion. Interesting may be too generous. But uh, it was a discussion why this person was arguing that Jesus was not a refugee. Okay. Well, Jesus and his family were refugees. First of all, they weren't from Bethlehem. The fact that Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem would be like me going to West Virginia for whatever kind of census. I haven't lived there for 50 years. So the fact that Jesus, Joseph's ancestors were in Bethlehem is why he had to go back there. And secondly, they had to flee for their life and go to Egypt, a place I'm sure that neither of them probably had ever been. And so there was a sense that there really was... Um, a, a dimension of, of homelessness uh, and not belonging in the first you know, months of Jesus's life. Now, Matthew has a, a, a very distinct agenda. OK, I know for our major scenes and sometimes for our pageants, we merge Luke and Matthew. Right. OK, so we have wise men showing up at the manger, but that's not the case. The two stories don't quite merge. Um, and Matthew's version of the life of Jesus really emphasizes the fact that Jesus is going to personify the story of his people, the story of Israel. In particular, Jesus is going to be a new Moses. So a lot of Matthew's narrative really is inspired by the Hebrew scriptures. One of the most famous passages for uh, Jews and Deuteronomy is 20, Deuteronomy 26, 5 through 10. And this is Moses speaking to the people. And he says, and you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our father, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and the great deeds of terror with signs and wonders. This is part of the creed of the people of Israel. My father was a wandering Aramean. Okay. Part of their self-understanding was we began as a homeless people. We began as a stranger, an alien in a strange land. And so Jesus in the descent into Israel, is reenacting the story of the people of Israel. Now, there is a legend, and sometimes you can see this in Greek or Russian Orthodox icons, that when Mary and Joseph and Jesus entered into Egypt, all the idols bowed down, because before them was the true icon of God, the true image of God. And it is a powerful recognition that even though this child is fleeing for his life with a family that don't belong there, though there was a large Jewish population in Egypt. Matter of fact, Alexandria was one that had one of the largest Jewish populations in the <coughs> Roman world. And there's always some speculation about what kind of mystical Jewish ideas that Jesus may have gotten in Egypt. Okay, so that's that's a whole substory. But nonetheless, Jesus is a stranger in a strange land, fleeing for his life at the mercy of his parents, in the mercy of the forces of history around him. Now, 
Of course, Herod is Herod. He will do whatever he needs to to maintain power. Um, Herod is a notorious figure. Matter of fact, the Jewish historian Josephus tells us of many of the misdeeds of Herod. Now, was he that different than any other you know, tyrant in the ancient world? Probably not. Okay? Often there was intrigue in royal families. Uh, he's not the first or the last king that will have his sons killed or have his wife murdered because of conspiracy or paranoia. Okay. But Herod was a notoriously bad guy who oppressed his people, though he did amazing architectural uh, phenomena. You, you go to Israel, you still see the works of his, his great works in Caesarea, uh, as well as Masada uh, is another one of his uh, great buildings. Now, one of the things, for all the bad things that Herod was known to have done, there's no record outside the Gospel of Matthew of the massacre of the innocents in the Bethlehem region. And so some critical historians have called into question if that really happened, right? Because Matthew does have the agenda. Matthew wants us to think of Moses when we think of Jesus, and Jesus when we think of Moses. So if you remember, Moses had a supernatural rescue as well, right? All the Egyptian boys were to be killed, or all the Jewish boys were to be killed by Pharaoh, and his sister hides him. And both because of human intervention and because of the providence of God, Moses survives. The same is true with Jesus, right? Because of Joseph's willingness to act, he's warned in a dream, and Jesus is rescued. But I think there's another reason why no other historical source mentions the killing of the innocents in Bethlehem. Because, frankly, the history of the human race is us not getting too upset about children dying. Herod killed his own children. Julius Caesar, a little bit over a generation earlier, practiced genocide among the Gauls. Any of you of Celtic origin? Okay. All right. I am, you know, any of you, when we hear Julius Caesar, you should go boo hiss. Okay. He killed a lot of our ancestors. Okay. Including thousands of innocent children. Thousands of children and babies will die a generation after Jesus when the Romans conquered Jerusalem. Matter of fact, every conquering army kills innocent children. The Russians shelled hospitals in Syria last month. Assad used chemical weapons against his own people, his own citizens, including children. Terrorists last week attacked a church in Central Africa, killing women and children. And we ourselves, our own country, we are not free from guilt about this as well. We allow lead and carcinogens to poison our children. And unless it's your town or your school or your babies, we quickly forget places like Sandy Hook and others. Humanity is strangely adept at overlooking the deaths of innocent children. Now, Christianity does not offer a supernatural explanation for the evil and suffering of this world. But rather, it does offer a supernatural use for it. That does not mitigate the senseless number of innocent children, or for that matter, it doesn't mitigate the fact of any tragedy 
that happens to any of us. Okay. At Crossroads this morning, where we prayed for one of our elders, sisters dying during Christmas. So the story of Christmas doesn't eliminate human suffering, whether on a macro level or in our own lives and our own families. But Christianity does offer a supernatural use for it. And what I mean by that is that death and evil do not get the final and ultimate word on our lives. That belongs to God. Saint Quadravotius, okay, I'll ask you to spell that later. Uh, he is actually from Carthage. He was a spiritual child of St. Augustine. St. Augustine kind of nurtured him in the faith. He preached a sermon on this Sunday in the 4th in the, uh, um, or 5th century. And this was a quote he said. Though they did not know it, these children died for Christ, and their parents are mourning the death of martyrs. The Christ child had made babies who are unable to talk, fitting witnesses to himself. The faith of Israel at the time of the New Testament, as well as the early church, it was a martyr's faith. The highest calling one could have is to give one's life for the faith. And the early church was bathed and grew out of the blood of its martyrs. What's powerful here is that on one level, it's just a tyrant being a tyrant, right? He could, get, he could do it because he had the might to do it. Herod was accountable to no one. He could do whatever he wanted to do, including killing innocent children. But from the mystery of God's perspective, these children in their death bear witness to the one who will die for the world. Now, Mary and Joseph, Joseph finds out Herod dies, but his son takes over. Now, just for a historical side point, his son will be so corrupt and so violent that even the Romans fire him. Okay? All right? So the apple did not fall from the tree. Okay? Uh, and why Pilate is in Judea as opposed to a descendant of Herod is once the Romans got rid of Herod's son, they said, we're going to run this, all right? We're not going to give this to any more of Herod's kids. They're all a little crazy and more than a little shady, all right? Okay. So it tells us that Joseph took his family to Nazareth. And what's interesting, it says, so that the prophecy would be fulfilled that he, and let me, let me quote it, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he might be called a Nazarene. Okay. There's only one problem with that verse. There are no prophets anywhere <laughs> that say that the Messiah is going to come from Nazareth. Matter of fact, Nazareth is such a backwater place, it's not even mentioned in any list of the towns of Galilee in any other first century document. Have you ever, I, I, this actually happened to me. I was, I was in the middle of West Texas. Okay. Have you ever been in West Texas? It looks a lot like the moon. All right. 
Okay, it looks it could be could be the moon. Okay, on the Permian Basin, and I pulled up the gas station. This is before GPS, and I said, I'm looking for a way to get to Marfa. Okay, Marfa. Any of you ever been to Marfa, Texas? Okay, it's lovely. Uh, it's actually where the movie Big or Giant, the movie Giant. Remember that movie that was Giant was filmed in Marfa. Okay, all right. So the gas attendant looked at me. You want to go to Marfa? Well, you can't get there from here. <laughs> well, I, I did eventually get there. But, all right, Nazareth is one of those places you can't get there from here. Up in the hills, probably just, a, you know, not much more than a barrio. And that's where Joseph takes Jesus. Okay. Now, my guess, given Matthew's account, why did he go somewhere where no one knew existed? Right? Okay, hard to find him, right? I mean, Joseph is still worried that this child's life is going to be in danger, okay? So it could have been just, let's go up in the mountains. I've got cousins up there, okay? It's like going back. Let's go to West Virginia. They'll never find us here, all right? All right. Up a holler, all right? Now, sometimes this passage has been wrongly explained, saying that, G- that Jesus was going to take a Nazarite vow, okay? This is our Baptist brothers and sisters who don't drink. This is sometimes their, their verse. Because a Nazarite took a vow where you didn't drink alcohol, you didn't cut your hair, and you didn't make yourself unclean being around dead people. Okay? You didn't touch anything unclean. The two most favorite, famous Nazarite vows in the Old Testament are Samson. Okay? Okay, that didn't quite work out for him, but nonetheless, Samson was one, and the prophet Samuel was another one. Okay. Now, the trouble is, okay, all right, we don't know what Jesus' hair was like. Okay? We don't have any reference of that. But we do know that he drank wine, right? Okay. He even could make it. Pretty cool. All right? Right? And the other thing is that he touched dead people all the time. Okay? He was always helping unclean people. So he probably didn't, that's, he wasn't that he was a Nazarite. That's a different thing. Okay? The words are similar, but they're not the same. So why in the world does it, what does it mean that the prophet said he would come from Nazareth? From nowhere. Maybe that's the punchline. Jesus, a nobody from nowhere. A man of no reputation. Who did not see power as something to be flaunted. Who did not live for power and might and wealth. He did not come into this world to force his will upon this world, but identified with the weak, identified with the lowly, identified with all us nobodies. There was one thing Herod was right about. This little baby was dangerous to every tyrant who thinks what they say is right, who's willing to cause others to suffer. Sometimes that tyrant may be within us, right? But this babe of Bethlehem, who spent some time in Egypt, who grew up in the middle of nowhere, will come and show us that true power is in humility, that true might is in love. And the ultimate expression of who God is is found in sacrifice.
As a man, Jesus will not escape the evil and violence that humanity can do. A different tyrant will bring him down. But even in that, there's a holy mystery of God bringing down all the evil. And even in his death, he will conquer death. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Let us stand again and proclaim what we believe in the word.